Blog Talk Radio. Yesterday we were on the air and we were having some difficulty, audio difficulties, but maybe, maybe right now there is <laughs> some semblance of everything being okay, but we'll find out at the end of the show because that's when it tells the most 
Uh, anyway, uh, welcome to the Joy Gelato doing the show. We've been off for about two years, and a lot of it was because of COVID. Uh, of COVID has affected everything, and we're hearing that it's back, it, it, and it's back with a vengeance. Um, and that's sad. That's sad because a, a lot of people were uh, not wearing masks. A lot of people refused to wear masks. And they're saying that 90% of the COVID cases and 90% of the deaths are caused by those who are not vaccinated and caused by people spreading misinformation. Of course, misinformation. It's a lot of misinformation out there, and people are listening to it, and people are believing it. They're believing it. And that's the thing uh, that's so uh, that's true. People are believing a lot of the garbage that's coming out of basically right-wing conservative radio radio host conservatives spreading lies. I mean, <laughs> and they're still spreading lies after we uh, we try to tell them to stop spreading lies. They just double down on spreading lies about the virus, and people are believing it, and people are not getting the virus, and they're dying from it. Some people are saying that Fox News is killing people because they are the vaccine deniers. Vaccines are safe, folks. Vaccines will save your life. But we cannot go out here and make every stupid idiot believe that because they're going to believe what they want. I was saying some things yesterday on the show that didn't get picked up because of uh, some audio problems. I started to delete the show, but I decided to let it stay because it has everything it has everything that I wanted to have except for my voice. And that was and basically today I was just trying out trying to find out what were the audio problems, and I'm still working on it. We are still working on it. And uh, we're going to go on with the show and just <laughs> hope for the best by the end of the show. Um, audio problems. Okay. Um, yeah, they're saying that Fox News is killing people. We know that because they're lying about the virus. And people should take this virus seriously. It's not a joke. It's no joke. People are dying. People are dying. You got Rand Paul out here arguing, bitching with and lying on Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci in this meeting excoriated despicable Rand Paul. If you saw the exchange, you would say the same. Dr. Fauci stood up and fought this lying son of a bitch back. You don't turn the other cheek when people are lying. And other people, let me say that again. You don't turn the other cheek when other people are lying and people are dying. And I am proud. We should all be proud proud of Dr. Fauci. He stood his own. He didn't need Democrats. He didn't need Republicans. He stood his ground and hanged. Rand Paul. He told Rand Paul, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. And then later on in the um, 
exchange, he said, if anyone is lying here, Senator, it's you. I mean, if there had been an applaud machine there, they would have stood up and applaud Dr. Fauci for saying that. Rand Paul couldn't say anything else after that. The Republicans are just ridiculous. They're not for anything. They're going to derail Biden's infrastructure bill. Why are they going to derail it? Because that's what they do. They are about nothing. They don't want you to be about nothing. But, however, they want your vote. They think that we're going to go out and vote for them when they are about nothing, especially for Americans. They're about everything for themselves, but they're not, they're, they're, they are zilch for America. Zilch. And they're not ashamed to say it. And they want to stay in power. How do you think they're going to stay in power? Right now, they're working on several, if not hundreds, of voter suppression bills around America, around the United States. And as I said yesterday on the show, I think and I'm hoping that all of this shit that they're doing backfires. It has to backfire on them. Years ago, we called them the do-nothing Congress. And they are still the do-nothing Congress. And I'm talking about the Senate. Senate Republicans do nothing and they're proud to be do nothing. You got Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates giving lying speeches out on the street corners because no other venue wants them. So they have to take to the street corners with microphones and shout out disinformation about the vaccine. Two idiots who should be imprisoned if not thrown out of Congress. It's all about the grift. This is all about the grift. They're out there for one thing only, and that is to get their supporters to send them money. It's all about the grift. That's what it is. It's all about sending them money. They're not going to do a damn thing. They're running their mouths 24-7 just to have their hapless supporters send them money. And guess what? They are being sent money by their hapless supporters. I just think all of this is going to backfire on the Republicans because there's too many Democrats, there's too many independents, and now there's several hundred, if not thousand Republicans who have left the party because They don't want to be a part of something that's despicable. And it is despicable. They are going to block votes on the infrastructure bill. How could they not be for infrastructure? Roads, bridges, tunnels. This stuff could be collapsing in a few years if not a few months or a few weeks, and they're voting against it. You're voting against the infrastructure bill. You're voting against the infrastructure bill. You're voting against America. Infrastructure is what keeps our country, our country, 
upright, standing, not crashing down to the ground. The condo in Surfside, what is it, Surfside? Surfside, Florida. That's infrastructure. If someone would have paid attention to some of the warning signs, those 150 people would not be dead today. Infrastructure means everything. And the Republicans, they, if it's a Democratic idea, they're going to vote against it. They're going to vote. Mitch McConnell has hundreds of bills sitting on his desk, and they've been sitting there for years. This guy even said he's not going to do a damn thing for America, but he wants you to vote for everybody he tells you he wants you to vote for. The Republicans think, let me say this again, Republicans think we're dumb and stupid and crazy. They think we're easy pushovers. I admit the Democrats in Congress at some states, they can be pretty weak. No backbone. But I, as I said yesterday, I have so much confidence in the Democrats standing up to these voter suppression bills that are about to become law. I'm hearing that uh, Democrats can only stall for so long in these uh, GOP-led legislatures around America before these bills actually become law. But I love it when people fight. Uh, I, I told, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that turns the other cheek. I mean, I'm ready for a good fight, especially politically, because that's where we stand now. I've said many times, if the uh, Republicans get their hands on America, they will never get it back. America, as we know it, will be over. If they should win, take the Senate back, take the House of Representatives back in 2022 midterms, we're screwed. Some people want to say we're fucked. We are screwed. They will never get it back. Their main goal in life is to elect Donald Trump, install Donald Trump, and make him a dictator. There has been talk that Donald Trump praised Adolf Hitler in one of those books. Speaking of books, there's trillions of books out here on Donald Trump. (laughs) I'm even writing one. Uh, Every writer out here should probably write a book on Donald Trump. Because I think this is one way, and they're all negative. Every book out there on Donald Trump is negative. They're, They're all negative. But Donald Trump himself had to write a book to try to turn the tide. It didn't do anything because because his books, just like his speeches, are filled with lies. But there's a ton of books out here on Donald Trump. As I said, I'm doing one myself. Oh, not another Trump book, George. Yeah. I think the more books written about Trump, and they're all negative, and they're all true, 
will help us to defeat to defeat the Republicans in trying to rewrite history. Trump has been impeached twice. Hopefully he will be soon indicted. His crimes are just astronomical. I don't have to mention them here. You know what they are. And people are asking, why is Donald Trump still free? Why isn't this guy in handcuffs, leg irons, and an orange jumpsuit locked up, locked away in some prison? which he deserves. I'm asking the same question. We're all waiting for one thing. We're waiting for Trump to be indicted. Because if he's indicted, he could... Let me put that... Let me say that again. I'm stuttering. Because if if he's indicted, he cannot run for president. If he's not indicted, he will truly try to run for president to get his hands on America again. And what will he do? He will come after his enemies. His, <laughs> two of his enemies are Facebook, Twitter, and there's another one, Google. He's going to come after those social media sites, all those people who say negative things about him and make him look bad because he is actually suing Facebook, or trying to sue, or wanting to sue Facebook, Twitter, and Google. How in the hell are you going to sue three companies (laughs) that you don't own? These are independent companies. They were started by ordinary people. You cannot sue them because they don't want you on their platform. You cannot sue them because they're because they banned you. They don't have to have you on there. Especially if you're lying. They don't want liars on their platform. Trump lies every day, all the time, every minute. And the thing is, Trump knows he's lying. Because he, he gave us, he said something the other day. He said, if you say something long enough, you bash it hard enough, you pound it into people long enough, they will believe it. He admitted to his lies. And he's continuing to lie to say he won the election. He lost the electoral college in a landslide. He knows it. But he's repeating this lie over and over and over again that he was cheated out of the election, or that he won the election. He's repeating it over and over and over again, and his thugs are repeating it over and over and over again. It's a big lie. I agree agree with Biden. The big lie is just that, the big lie, the big lie. All right, everybody, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. And (laughs) it's just free talk, open talk right now. We're going to try and have some guests on here to talk about their book. Uh, uh, That's how the show began. Uh, A few years ago, we started interviewing authors, 
about their the books that they've written and the content of the books and why they've written them. We're going to uh, book some more people on the George Wilder Jr. show. As the show progresses and goes on, I'm just happy that we are back on the air at some point. And um, hopefully <laughs> we will be staying on the air. Okay, we'll be right back. Let's see if we can't. Um, yeah, what was that? Oh, no, 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 no. This is, uh, I, yeah, this is some of the, uh, things we're going to be talking about on the George Wilder Jr. show. Facebook is killing people. Um, that's what the people are saying. Facebook, Biden is saying, saying it. I think he backed off of it, though saying that Facebook is killing people. I don't think Facebook is killing people. What what they mean is that Facebook is killing people by letting people onto their platform who are lying about the vaccine. Uh, Biden feels if Facebook would get these people off their platform to quit lying about the vaccine, that more more people would take the vaccine. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to take a musical break, and we will be right back.
I'm here today to talk about a disturbing question, which has an equally disturbing answer. My topic is the secrets of domestic violence. And the question I'm going to tackle is the one question everyone always asks. Why does she stay? Why would anyone stay with a man who beats her? I'm not a psychiatrist, a social worker, or an expert in domestic violence. I'm just one woman with a story to tell. I was 22. I had just graduated from Harvard College. I'd moved to New York City for my first job as a writer and editor at Seventeen Magazine. I had my first apartment, my first little green American Express card, and I had a very big secret. My secret was that I had this gun loaded with hollow-point bullets pointed at my head by the man who I thought was my soulmate many, many times. The man who I loved more than anybody on earth held a gun to my head and threatened to kill me more times than I can even remember. I'm here to tell you the story of crazy love, a psychological trap disguised as love, one that millions of women and even a few men fall into every year. It may even be your story. I don't look like a typical domestic violence survivor. I have a BA in English from Harvard College, an MBA in marketing from Wharton Business School. I spent most of my career working for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and The Washington Post. I've been married for almost 20 years to my second husband, and we have three kids together. My dog is a black lab, and I drive a Honda Odyssey minivan. So my first message for you is that domestic violence happens to everyone. All races, all religions, all income and education levels. It's everywhere. And my second message is that everyone thinks domestic violence happens to women, that it's a women's issue. Not exactly. Over 85% of abusers are men. And domestic abuse happens only in intimate, interdependent, long-term relationships. In other words, in families, the last place we would want or expect to find violence, which is one reason domestic abuse is so confusing. I would have told you myself that I was the last person on earth who would stay with a man who beats me. But in fact, I was a very typical victim because of my age. I was 22. And in the United States, women ages 16 to 24 are three times as likely to be domestic violence victims as women of other ages. And over 500 women and girls this age are killed every year by abusive partners, boyfriends and husbands in the United States. I was also a very typical victim because I knew nothing about domestic violence, its warning signs or its patterns. I met Connor on a cold, rainy January night. He sat next to me on the New York City subway and he started chatting me up. He told me two things. One was that he, too, had just graduated from an Ivy League school and that he worked at a very impressive Wall Street bank. But what made the biggest impression on me that first meeting was that he was smart and funny, and he looked like a farm boy. He had these big cheeks, these big apple cheeks and this wheat blonde hair, and he seemed so sweet. One of the smartest things Connor did from the very beginning 
was to create the illusion that I was the dominant partner in the relationship. He did this, especially at the beginning, by idolizing me. We started dating, and he loved everything about me, that I was smart, that I'd gone to Harvard, that I was passionate about helping teenage girls and my job. He wanted to know everything about my family and my childhood, my hopes and dreams. Connor believed in me as a writer and a woman in a way that no one else ever had. And he also created a magical atmosphere of trust between us by confessing his secret, which was that as a very young boy starting at age four, he had been savagely and repeatedly physically abused by his stepfather. And the abuse had gotten so bad that he had had to drop out of school in eighth grade, even though he was very smart. And he'd spent almost 20 years rebuilding his life, which is why that Ivy League degree and the Wall Street job and his bright, shiny future meant so much to him. If you had told me that this smart, funny, sensitive man who adored me would one day dictate whether or not I wore makeup, how short my skirts were, where I lived, what jobs I took, who my friends were, and where I spent Christmas, I would have laughed at you. Because there was not a hint of violence or control or anger in Connor at the beginning. I didn't know that the first stage in any domestic violence relationship is to seduce and charm the victim. I also didn't know that the second step is to isolate the victim. Now, Connor did not come home one day and announce, you know, hey, this, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff has been great, but I need to move into the next phase where I isolate you and I abuse you. <laughs> so I need to get you out of this apartment where the neighbors can hear you scream and out of this city where you have friends and family and coworkers who can see the bruises. Instead, Connor came home one Friday evening and he told me that he had quit his job that day, his dream job. And he said that he had quit his job because of me, because I had made him feel so safe and loved that he didn't need to prove himself on Wall Street anymore. And he just wanted to get out of the city and away from his abusive, dysfunctional family and move to a tiny town in New England where he could start his life over with me by his side. Now, the last thing I wanted to do was leave New York and my, my dream job. But I thought you made sacrifices for your soulmate. So I agreed, and I quit my job, and Connor and I left Manhattan together. I had no idea I was falling into crazy love, that I was walking headfirst into a carefully laid physical, financial, and psychological trap. The next step in the domestic violence pattern is to introduce the threat of violence and see how she reacts. And here's where those guns come in. As soon as we moved to New England, you know that place where Connor was supposed to feel so safe? He bought three guns. He kept one in the glove compartment of our car. He kept one under the pillows on our bed and the third one he kept in his pocket at all times. And he said that he needed those guns because of the trauma he'd experienced as a young boy. He needed them to feel protected. But those guns were really a message for me. And even though he hadn't raised a hand to me, my life was already in grave danger every minute of every day. 
Connor first physically attacked me five days before our wedding. It was 7 a.m. I still had on my nightgown. I was working on my computer trying to finish a freelance writing assignment, and I got frustrated. And Connor used my anger as an excuse to put both of his hands around my neck and to squeeze so tightly that I could not breathe or scream. And he used the chokehold to hit my head repeatedly against the wall. Five days later, the ten bruises on my neck had just faded, and I put on my mother's wedding dress, and I married him. Despite what had happened, I was sure we were going to live happily ever after. Because I loved him, and he loved me so much. And he was very, very sorry. He had just been really stressed out by the wedding and by becoming a family with me. It was an isolated incident, and he was never going to hurt me again. It happened twice more on the honeymoon. The first time, I was driving to find a secret beach, and I got lost. And he punched me in the side of my head so hard that the other side of my head repeatedly hit the driver's side window. And then a few days later, driving home from our honeymoon, he got frustrated by traffic, and he threw a cold Big Mac in my face. Connor proceeded to beat me once or twice a week for the next two and a half years of our marriage. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence or stalking at some point in her life. And the CDC reports that 15 million children are abused every year. 15 million. So actually, I was in very good company. Back to my question. Why did I stay? The answer is easy. I didn't know he was abusing me. Even though he held those loaded guns to my head, pushed me downstairs, threatened to kill our dog, pulled the key out of the car ignition as I drove down the highway, poured coffee grinds on my head as I dressed for a job interview. I never once thought of myself as a battered wife. Instead, I was a very strong woman in love with a deeply troubled man, and I was the only person on earth who could help Connor face his demons. The other question everybody asks is, why doesn't she just leave? Why didn't I walk out? I could have left any time. To me, this is the saddest and most painful question that people ask, because we victims know something you usually don't. It's incredibly dangerous to leave an abuser. Because the final step in the domestic violence pattern is kill her. Yep. Over 70% of domestic violence murders happen after the victim has ended the relationship, after she's gotten out, because then the abuser has nothing left to lose. Other outcomes include long-term stalking, even after the abuser remarries, denial of financial resources, and manipulation of the family court system to terrify the victim and her children, who are regularly forced by family court judges to spend unsupervised time with the man who beat their mother. And still we ask, why doesn't she just leave? I was able to leave because of one final sadistic beating that broke through my denial. 
I realized that the man who I loved so much was going to kill me if I let him. So I broke the silence. I told everyone. The police, my neighbors, my friends and family, total strangers. And I'm here today because you all helped me. We tend to stereotype victims as grisly headlines, self-destructive women, damaged goods. The question, why does she stay, is code for some people for it's her fault for staying. As if victims intentionally choose to fall in love with men intent upon destroying us. But since publishing Crazy Love, I have heard hundreds of stories from men and women who also got out, who learned an invaluable life lesson from what happened, and who rebuilt lives, joyous, happy lives, as employees, wives, and mothers, lives completely free of violence, like me. Because it turns out that I'm actually a very typical domestic violence victim and a typical domestic violence survivor. I remarried a kind and gentle man. We have those three kids. I have that black lab, and I have that minivan. What I will never have again, ever, is a loaded gun held to my head by someone who says that he loves me. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. Or, wow, how stupid was she? But this whole time, I've actually been talking about you. I promise you, there are several people listening to me right now who are currently being abused, or who were abused as children, or who are abusers themselves. Abuse could be affecting your daughter, your sister, your best friend right now. I was able to end my own crazy love story by breaking the silence. I'm still breaking the silence today. It's my way of helping other victims. And it's my final request of you. Talk about what you heard here. Abuse thrives only in silence. You have the power to end domestic violence simply by shining a spotlight on it. We victims need everyone. We need every one of you to understand the secrets of domestic violence. Show abuse the light of day by talking about it with your children, your coworkers, your friends and family. Recast survivors as wonderful, lovable people with full futures. Recognize the early signs of violence and conscientiously intervene De-escalate it. Show victims a safe way out. Together, we can make our beds, our dinner tables, and our families the safe and peaceful oases they should be. Thank you.
about voter suppression because that is what's going on. Voter suppression. The Republicans are 
trying to stop you and I from voting. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. If you're in America, they do not want you to vote. Everybody, rich, poor, black or white, indifferent, not indifferent, they don't want you to vote. They do not want you to vote. And people have to understand that. They're making it harder for you to vote. They don't even want you to give people water or a sandwich who are standing in line for hours and hours waiting to vote. They want to intimidate you at the voting place with poll watchers, nasty-looking, grimy-looking, hateful-looking poll watchers, seeing who you're going to vote for, trying to stop you from voting. They want to make it so fucking hard for you to vote that you're going to say that you're not going to vote, and that you, it can't be that way. As I've said before, if the Republicans get their hands on America, we're done. It's over. We're done. Because they're never going to get us back. If they win the House, if they win the Senate, if they win the White House, America, we're through. And everybody should know that. So everybody's talking about, well, 2022. 2022 better be a referendum on those who are trying to stop you from voting. Because these people are serious. These Republicans are serious. They're lying their asses off about not uh, uh, doing voter suppression. Don't let that, this guy in Texas. Texas is one of the worst states in America when it comes to uh, uh, voter suppression following Georgia or maybe not following Georgia maybe Georgia is following Texas and then you got other states who are implementing voter suppression see I said this years ago uh, when black people do not vote Republicans win because I remember a time when Black people didn't vote at all. And this was way before voter suppression of this enormity. Black people didn't vote. They just, I'm not voting. And they were proud to say they weren't voting. <laughs> Me voting? I'm not going to vote. I'm not voting. They were proud. But now, when they know their asses is on the line, they're going to race to the polls. Because the Republicans, they want this country. They want America. They want this country. They want to stay in power. They don't want to do a damn thing for you. They don't want to pass any bills. They have no policy. They have no issues. They have nothing offering the people of America. The only thing they are offering us is voter suppression. And as I said, it doesn't matter who you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. Black, white, green, or yellow. If you're an American, get ready for voter suppression. They don't want you to vote. They're making it hard in every aspect of voting. But 
as I said yesterday on the show, and I don't think <laughs> I don't think the audio was doing that well. But anyway, as I said yesterday on the show, they're gonna make sure that you don't vote. And they are going to try their best because they're they're they are in charge of these legislatures around the country, around America, where Republicans have the advantage over Democrats. This is why they're doing it, and they're lying to our faces saying they're not doing it. They're lying to our faces saying that this is better for America. Anytime you're denying Americans a vote, you're just pissing on the Constitution. And that's what the Republicans have been doing since day one, pissing on the Constitution. They don't give a damn about the Constitution. All they know is they want to stay in power. They want to stay in power by any means necessary. And I've said this before. I think it's going to backfire on them. I I think it's going to backfire on them because um, they're hurting their own voters. They're also hurting their own voters. Their own voters are going to be suffering from their voter suppression of their own voters, of their own constituency. The people who put them in office, they don't give two shits about the people that put them in office. All they know is that they are now in office and they want to stay in office. They want to stay in power. And I do believe come 2022, (laughs) excuse me, and I do believe come 2022, come 2024, that this shit is going to backfire on these thuggish Republicans. And I mean thuggish. This is a Republican party like no other. And there are Republicans in the party. They want to see these current crop of Republicans thrown the hell out of office so they can rebuild uh, uh, the Republican party from the bottom to the top. Because this current crop of Republicans are thugs, Ku Klux Klan, criminals, stupid, ignorant, dumb, the current crop of Republicans. And they have voters who are sending them money, even though they even though the voters know <laughs> that they're sending money to a bunch of criminals, crooks, thugs, and liars. Period. Voter suppression is real. Let's say if these people manage to pass a lot of these bills uh, over the Democrats because they're in the majority and the Democrats are the minority, I still think it will backfire on them because no one likes it when you try to stop them from doing something that's lawful that you have every right to do. Greg Abbott is pathetic. DeSantis of Florida is pathetic. Trump Jr. 
these people who are Trump kissers. I was I was talking about I I listened to some commentators and they they're saying that um, a lot of Republicans, including DeSantis and Abbott, are kissing the ring of Trump. When I first heard that, I was wondering, what are they talking about, kissing the ring of Trump? Well, they're down there kissing the ring. Uh, McCartney went down to Mar-a-Lago. He's kissing the ring. And I'm wondering, what are they talking about, kissing the ring? (laughs) I figured it out. It's a subtle way, it's a subtle way, a nice way of saying that the Republicans in leadership are kissing Trump's ass at Mar-a-Lago. There's, they're replacing it with rain instead of saying the other word that I just mentioned. Anyway, yeah, um, you wonder. I mean, Trump is a traitor. There's no doubt about it. We witnessed that in Helsinki with Putin, Putin's puppet. And they're now saying that Trump was actually, actually Putin's puppet. He wasn't playing Putin's puppet. Uh, We didn't just say that. He was actually Putin's puppet. And they're saying that Trump, I think in one of these books that are coming out, if it's not out already, they're saying that Trump uh, praised Adolf Hitler. None of this, even if it's not true, even if it is true, none of this surprises me. Because there were so many times when Trump was in office, we were saying he's Adolf Hitler. And Trump said he praised Adolf Hitler from what one of these books are, are, are saying. And it, it it looks like something he would do. <laughs> it really it really does. It looks as if it's something he would do. Trump was the worst president in American history. He continues to be the worst person ever in American po- politics. The man has something wrong with him. His head is screwed on backwards, he's whacked, his speeches are nothing but ramblings of stupid shit. Um, He's just an awful person. And he could, there's no doubt about it, he could end up running for president in 2024 or or, uh, running for Speaker of the House in 2022. But if he should get indicted, which we're all hoping that will happen, he will not be able to run for anything. And he needs to be indicted for inciting this riot on the U.S. Capitol. And we're all saying, when will this guy get arrested? He needs to be in jail because he's out there and he's inciting another riot at the U.S. Capitol. He's out there lying. He's out there inciting. He's out there uh, commanding his troops. But let's not forget, Trump doesn't have the power he used to have. 
That's why a lot of these venues are turning him down. There was a, a lot of book publishers turning him down. They didn't want to publish his book because they knew that it would be full of lies. They didn't want to take that chance on being sued. But I do think he has a book out. I think I think the title is I Alone Can Fix It. I haven't read anything. I've just seen the title and some of the things that are being quoted from that particular book that I'm thinking Trump wrote. Uh, it's a bunch of lies. And if you think about it, you know Trump didn't write the book. Somebody wrote it for him, a ghostwriter or something, because he, he doesn't read. So in order to be a writer, you have to read. Um, but Trump is dangerous. And Trump is nobody. He's a loser. But what but what is keeping Trump afloat is the Senate in Congress. They're keeping him afloat. My pillow guy who says Trump will be installed <laughs> back into the presidency <laughs> in a few weeks or, or a month or so. This guy is loony. This, what's, what is his name? Huh? Mike Lindell? This guy is totally nuts. I mean, I'm pretty sure his business selling pillows have gone down. I've heard that. I think I've read that somewhere where his business is floundering. And some are saying that Trump, uh, his businesses are going under because a lot of these buildings around America that has his name on front, they said they're taking it down. A lot of them have taken it down because they knew Trump, for a fact, was the insider of January 6th insurrection at Capitol. Yeah, it, it, this is just phenomenal. I'm pretty sure you, you heard all about that. Hang Mike Pence. A gallows out there for Mike Pence. Oh, it was just awful. And this guy is out there. He's out there, as long as he's free, even if he's, uh, even if he's hanging out at Mar-a-Lago because he has nowhere else to go, um, he's inciting a riot. He's inciting people to do the same thing. And a lot of the rioters who have been caught and gone to court, they're blaming Trump for sending them there. I think it's about five to six hundred arrested, and just about all of them, if not all of them, said Trump, they were there because of Trump. Trump told them. They're in jail. Why not Trump? He's the mouthpiece. And a lot of them are probably saying, why isn't this guy arrested? I'm in jail because he's instructed me to go to the Capitol and hang my pen. We were following Trump's instructions. Why is he still free? Well, his organization has been indicted. Yeah, but he hasn't been indicted. Indicted. People are actually wondering those things. Yours truly is also. 
wondering, why is this man still free? I think I'm going to title my next show uh, uh, that. Why is Trump still free? Why is it taking so long for this guy to go to jail, to go to prison? Why is it taking so long for his kids, Ivanka, Eric, and that other fool? (laughs) Why is it taking so long? These people were the instigators. You got people in Congress and the Senate who were the um, instigators on this. Why is he still free? Um, If someone could answer that question for me, give me a call um, (laughs) and tell me why is Trump still free? Why isn't he in jail? There's the evidence is so mm, monumental. The evidence is so out of this world. Everybody is wondering, why is this man not locked up? All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. As I've said, folks, I am ecstatic to be back here on the air After being off for almost a year because of COVID, and now they're telling me that COVID is back. I just told my son before he walked out the door, I said, wear your mask, COVID is back. And it's back with a vengeance. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, I, I think people, if, People don't follow the requirements, the guidelines. We'll never get out of this pandemic. We're still in it because of people. People will not get vaccinated. And if you tell them to get vaccinated, they might take a gun out and shoot you. <laughs> that's true. You, that's true. I know you've heard things like um, <laughs> uh, you go into a business and they ask you to wear a mask, all of a sudden somebody gets pissed off, take out a gun and shoot you. It shouldn't be that dramatic. It should not be that dramatic. All right, the George Wilder Jr. Show is on the air, and we're trying to come up with a clip here. Trying to do a clip here. Let's see. Feels like we're having problems. The George right. Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You
yeah, I think black people will be well. Uh, how are they going to stop people from voting, you, George? Yeah. See, let me tell you something. It's easy for people to say things that's hyper emotional without details. I studied the Georgia reform bill. Do you know that it is harder? You have to produce more information to cash in a lotto ticket in the state of Georgia than it is when you go to vote in Fulton County. In Joe's own state of Delaware, they don't even have mail-in ballots, which is a convenience for those who have to take advantage of it. Yeah, but I'm just talking in general. I I think uh, you may not agree with me, but that's fine. I think it would affect a lot of people, and I think it's wrong, okay? Voter suppression yeah, is but what, though, George? Please, please, I beg you, George, tell me, what about it is going to affect a lot? Of, it's, sure, it's going to affect a lot of people across the board because it's making a change. But how is this suppressing people from going to vote? So you don't think it's voter suppression? I can't, I can't read it no place. You don't think it's voter suppression? Even the president of the United States saying it's voter suppression. He said but it's either Jim Crow 1.1 or something. But, George, all I ask, and, I, and I'm asking from a humble... He said the words voter suppression. I ask from a humble position. Please, please refer to me, refer me to something I can read to show what it's going to suppress, as people say, Black folks. Well, there's and a lot of can't have Arizona tea and chicken weed that's saying this is voter suppression. Thank you for your call. Bye. All right. George Water Jr. show is now on the air. We're going to take a little break if we can. Okay. Let's do this one. All right. The George Water Jr. show. Hello and welcome to ABC News Live. We are hearing for the first time from President Trump's niece, Mary Trump, since the publication of her explosive new memoir, Too Much and Never Enough. And I sat down and spoke with her in this exclusive interview about her uncle, about her belief that he is, quote, utterly incapable of leaving this country and why it's dangerous in her view to allow him to do so. Here's my conversation with Mary Trump. You'll only see this extended cut of the interview right here on ABC News Live. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Too much and never enough. Explain why you chose the title. In thinking about my family, um, it applies because people associate money with them, understandably. And for my grandfather in particular, um, there was no such thing as having enough money. So I I was uh, thinking about what that meant and... And also thinking about the psychology behind him and uh, his children, I was very curious about the foundational issues um, that Donald and his siblings lived through. And I realized when really carefully examining the kind of childhoods they had, particularly Donald and my father. There was this very real sense for Donald when he was quite young that there just wasn't enough 
love, attention, support. And for my father, who is quite a bit older, uh, there was too much attention. You know, he was the heir apparent. My grandfather focused on him, was extraordinarily hard on him. So because there was such an odd degree of difference in terms of what the children received, again, particularly the two brothers, for Donald, there could never be enough to compensate for the, the loss of what he experienced as a child. And for my father, there was always too much of the wrong thing. And that impacted everybody in the family. All begins with your grandfather. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You say he's a sociopath. Yes. What do you mean by that? He had no empathy. He was incredibly driven in a way that turned other people, including his children, his wife, into pawns to be used to his own ends. If somebody could be of service to him, then he would use them. Uh, if they couldn't be, he excised them. And in my father's case, tragically, uh, he was not of use. He was the wrong kind of person. He was the wrong person. He was the wrong son. And uh, my dad never recovered from that. And my grandfather essentially needed to get rid of him. You say your grandfather destroyed both your father because he wasn't the person your grandfather wanted him to be. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is president of the United States, yet you say the grandfather destroyed him as well. Yes. He went about it differently uh, because, unfortunately for Donald, he could be of use to my grandfather. It wasn't as simple as that, of course. Donald had many years of watching my father be the wrong one, behaving differently, um, not, being, not being accepted for who he was. And it's impossible to know who Donald might have been under different circumstances and with different parents. But clearly he learned the lesson from watching his almost eight-year-old brother be punished for being kind, for being generous, for being sensitive, for having interests outside of what my grandfather thought was acceptable. You know, he loved to hang out with his friends. He loved to boat and fish and fly. He, by the time he graduated from college, he had uh, his private and his professional pilot's license. He wasn't a killer. He was not a killer. And shockingly, <laughs> that was a bad thing. And Donald learned that lesson. Um, and he essentially had to sacrifice whatever goodness there may have been in him once, whatever um, capacities for experiencing the full range of human emotion um, to my grandfather. And on the surface of things, yes, he's been successful, however you want to define that term. I mean, certainly in material terms and in terms of his current position, but at what cost? And I would suggest it was at the cost of him, and sadly now, uh, all of us. Who did he learn to become for his dad? He learned to become the killer, you mentioned, um, the man who wow. has to yeah, succeed at all costs, who 
recognizes that other people are expendable, who does not need to take responsibility, who will do anything um, to get attention, financial rewards, and to win. You write that he knows deep down that he is nothing of what he claims to be. He knows he has never been loved. Does children love him? I was shocked. I don't know if that's true. I don't know my cousins very well. They're much younger than I am. Um, and I guess it also depends on what that means. What does it mean to you? To me, um, love means being connected to another human being in a very deep way, um, being able to share things with them and trust them. Uh, in terms of a parent for a child, it means sacrificing for them and accepting them no matter what and never putting them in a position to lie for you or cheat for you or take from you. Uh, and I don't know that most people in my family understand that. You paint a picture of a, of a family that is, I guess in your words, malignantly dis dysfunctional. How so? From very early on, the kids were separated, uh, not physically, but emotionally and psychologically. They were never able really to count on each other in ways that mattered. They were in competition with each other for resources that uh, felt over time um, scarce, which is absurd. Donald figure out, figured out what his father wanted. Yes. His mother, not so much. Yeah. She was in some ways very much a creature of that generation. Um, the, the gender divide in my family was stark even for the 40s and 50s. She had very little to do with the boys. Um, it was almost as if the boys were my grandfather's purview and the girls were hers. I think from quite early on, um, Donald just didn't expect much from her. He knew, I think by the time he was sent to New York Military Academy, that she wasn't going to stand up for him. And after that very uh, tragic year when she was quite ill and inaccessible when he was only two and a half, I don't think the rift was ever repaired. You describe her as being more or less at her wit's end with Donald before he sent to the military academy. Yeah. How so? He didn't listen. He didn't respect her. I believe that because of that initial rift, which wasn't her fault, you know, she was extraordinarily ill. She was in and out of the hospital for six to 12 months. And after that, I don't believe that she was attended to properly. Uh, you know, she, her physical well-being was perhaps addressed, but her psychological well-being was not. And for whatever reason, she was not able to repair um, what that absence had wrought. So 
as she grew older, I think that she didn't know how to relate to her, couldn't trust her. And the what I'm sure he experienced as um, an excommunication uh, to boarding school was probably the last straw. He described, uh, I interviewed him on Mother's Day a few years back. He mm. said she was a warm, loving, and generous person. It was his father who was the hard one. Mm -hmm. Yet you tell a story of going to the White House in April of 2017 mm -hmm. and noticing what's on the desk behind yes. the president. Yes. Yeah, uh, it was pretty striking. And to be honest, I didn't notice until I saw the picture my brother had taken of me while I was sitting behind the Resolute desk. And there was my grandfather right over my shoulder. So I, of course, heard the conversation that Donald had with Marianne, you know, maybe you should get a picture of mom on your desk. And he's saying, oh, yeah, somebody get me a picture of mom. But it wasn't until I saw that image of my grandfather hovering in the background that I realized how striking it was that my grandmother was nowhere to be seen, you know, not even an afterthought, really. Although, of course, a picture was gotten, <laughs> and it's, I believe it's still there now. Tell me about your father at his best. Uh, unfortunately, I can only do that through other people. Um, by the time I was born, he was quite ill. Alcohol. Yes. Um, which, you know, caused all other kinds of illnesses, too. Uh, and because my family, for reasons that are rather complicated, were very invested in portraying my father as a loser, somebody who didn't toe the party line, somebody who betrayed my grandfather by not going into the business, and be doing the entirely irresponsible thing of becoming a professional pilot for TWA at the dawn of the jet age, I, much to my shame, didn't understand what he had accomplished. Um, I was often ashamed of him, not realizing that um, he had no support in the family and was treated as somebody who was damaged beyond repair and wasn't worth investing in in any way, emotionally or otherwise. You write, Donald following the lead of my grandfather and with the complicity, silence, and inaction of his siblings, destroyed my father. Yeah, that was hard to write, um, much harder to witness, partially because my dad at his best, which unfortunately was in the 60s, um, early, the early 60s, was, I mean, not that it matters, but he was an extraordinarily handsome man. But he was also charming, but in a deep way, kind, generous, fiercely loyal, and beloved. I've been in touch with his friends who haven't seen him since college or even before that, and they remember him as the most wonderful human being they ever met. They remember the wonderful times they had together. You know, he would put them in his Cessna and fly them to Bimini for the weekend to go fishing or out, out east to Montauk. And it's extraordinary uh, to hear almost 50 years later
um, 60 years later, what, a, what an indelible impression they made upon him and how fondly they still remember him. You say that was a hard sentence to write. I left out the next sentence. Okay. Which is? I, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't let him destroy my country. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I should remember that. That sounds uh, pretty arrogant. So let me explain what I mean. I feel as I write in the book that there are so many parallels between the circumstances in which my family operated um, and in which this country is now operating. I saw firsthand Bye.
Elder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. You can call it a podcast. You can call it a radio show. I call it a radio show. Anyway, uh, I want to leave America uh, with this one thought. We have to get off the sidelines and save our democracy. Nobody's going to save our democracy but Americans. We can't let this happen. We have to find a way to indict Trump and put him in jail. His family, he has done so much damage to America. And he's, it seems as if he's getting away with it. So we have to get off the sidelines. We have to get up out of the chairs. Uh, we have to get out here and protest. We got to, <laughs> you know, walk the walk to let these Republicans know that we are in charge. The people are in charge. They are not in charge. We, w- let me put it this way. We run this, not the Republicans. They think they run it because they're in power, uh, forgetting who actually gave them that power, the people of um, the United States, the people of America. We gave them that power, but they don't give a damn about that. (laughs) They want to stay in power without offering anything, no policy, no issues. They're not offering anything to try to get us to vote for them. Because they want to steal it with voter suppression. But like I said before, in this show and on other shows, I think we're going to, it's going to backfire on them. They don't think so. I I would bet that maybe a few of them think it could backfire on them, but not too many because they're, uh, resting everything on Donald Trump. They think Donald Trump is going to save their jobs. They think by, you know, hanging on to Donald Trump, he's going to make them win. Because I do think that Donald Trump's biggest enemies are within his own party. And those are the people he's going to go after. Actually, he's going after a lot of them now. <laughs> He's going after Republicans. But everything that uh, happens within the United States, he blames the Democrats. It's always the Democrats. But he's going after Republicans because he feels that they are his, some of them, not all of them, some may be his enemies. And Donald Trump goes after his enemies. So you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio, and we've been talking about getting up off the sidelines to save democracy because these people want to destroy it. They want to install Trump so he can become a dictator like Adolf Hitler because he admires dictators, Putin, this guy in South Korea, he admires uh, dictators. At one time, he was trying to become a dictator. And with this insurrection, we barely survived a coup. We barely survived Trump and his thugs overturning the election. We barely got out of that. But Donald Trump is free to start another insurrection. That's all he's doing. He's not out there to 
<laughs> to praise America. He's out there to lambast America and get those who feel the way he does to do something about it. This is how we got into that insurrection, whom the Republicans are calling a day at the park. As I've said before, these guys think we're nuts. They think we're crazy. They think Americans are crazy, but we have to get off the sidelines and show them that we, the people, run this. The Constitution says that, that the people are in control. And the Republicans, they don't like that. So we have to get off the sidelines. We have to take charge of our government. We have to take charge over uh, Congress getting something done. Because with people like Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCartney, Rand Paul, Jim Jordan, and a lot of other thugs in the Republican Party, nothing will ever get done. They're hoping that they have enough stupid people out there that's going to vote for them, and they just might. That's why we have to get up off the sidelines, get out here, get people registered to vote, no matter what. And if they are enacting these voter suppression bills, we have to find a way around them. And I think we will. I think we will. I I think some of the Democrats already are working ways to get around uh, the voter suppression bills that are being enacted by uh, Republican states. We have the White House, we have the Senate, and we have the House of Representatives. There's no way we should lose. Republicans are in the minority, but sometimes it feels like they're in the majority, but they're not. Mitch McConnell does not run anything but his mouth. Kevin McCartney does not run anything but his mouth. I'm hearing that he's putting for this January 6th commission that Speaker Pelosi is implementing. He's putting people on the commission that were directly involved with inciting the insurrection on January 6th. But Pelosi has a say in this, who is on her commission. McCartney put these thugs on that commission Pelosi has the right to say she don't want them because it's her, it's her commission. It doesn't belong to the Republicans. They voted it down. But they're trying to uh, take it. <laughs> they're trying to control it by putting these idiots on the commission. And I don't think, as I've said, I don't think Pelosi is going to stand for it. At least I hope she doesn't. Okay. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. As I said, folks, I'm glad to be back on the air. I'm glad to be here. Uh, if you want to call in, great. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything you say. But it's, a, it's always a great conversation for people to call in and, and voice their views. You know, like I said before, I'm going to have a lot of guests on the show as the show moves on, uh, progresses uh, down the road. Uh, we're still trying to uh, 
get some of the kinks out of it, you know, get some kinks out of the show. And uh, we're going to, it's going to be basically the same as it was before, before the, before COVID-19. And I want to say this again, get vaccinated, get vaccinated because COVID cases are rising and they're rising because people are not getting vaccinated. They're refusing refusing to get vaccinated. And one of the reasons, if not the reason, is misinformation. People are getting mixed uh, information from misinformation. People are lying about it. People are lying about the effects of the vaccine, and people are believing it. Take it from George Wilder Jr. The vaccines are safe. The vaccines, they save lives. Get your vaccine because that is the only way we're going to be able to get COVID numbers down. People are dying because they're listening to lies. Other people are calling it misinformation. Call it what it is, lies, lies, Fox News. I mean, you got some of these GOP, most of the people who are lying about this vaccine, Matt Gates. I mean, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's one of the reasons why she was uh, temporarily suspended from Twitter. And people around the country said that she, well, put it this way, they're saying that she should be banned. And I think she should be banned because she's not going to stop with the misinformation. That's what she's that's what she's running on. It's a grip. That's how she's raising her money. She's raising tons and tons and tons of money on misinformation. I'm pretty sure Matt Gates is too. Misinformation. They hate the fact that you are getting vaccinated because they're not vaccinated. They don't believe in it. Or do they? They could be vaccinated, but telling you not to get vaccinated just so they can raise money, have their supporters send in millions of dollars. Uh, I have to admit, I, I'm not a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene, and there's not too many people who are, but she's raising a lot of money on lies, on lies. Donald Trump is raising a lot of money on lies, on lies that these people who are sending them money know they're lying, but still sending them, sending them money. That's the kind of people, some of them, that we have in America right now, raising money off lies, raising money off killing people. Because when you, whenever you say do not take the vaccine, you're telling people to die. Biden says there's 12 people that he know of, that he's heard, who are spreading uh lies on Facebook about the vaccine. I think it's more than 12. I think it's the entire Republican Senate, at least most of them, spreading lies. We know it's Fox News, maybe maybe Newsmax, maybe some of the other, these, these other uh, conservative voices spreading lies. But we have to get off the sidelines we have to say this is our country. Don't mess with us. America belongs to the American people. 
not the assholes in some of these states that are suppressing the votes. Majority of these legislatures around America that are suppressing the votes, they're being led by GOP, white people, who are trying to stop black people from voting. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio, folks. It's been a blast. I hope you join me tomorrow while we get this um, while we get this uh, show together, uh, audio and everything and everything else. And it's going to be some uh, butterflies in, in the uh, audio here, but uh, we're going to do the best we can to get the George Wilder Jr. Show off the ground and running smoothly all right everybody uh make sure you join me tomorrow on the george wilder jr show it should be lots and lots of fun all right <laughs> if we can get these clips to act right it will be a lot of fun thanks and listen to the show anytime that you can it's um anytime that you can day night evening whenever the show is processed and uh, processed and fully workable. You can always listen to the show anytime you want, even at night. Um, even at night, the daytime. Okay, <laughs> okay, you know I'm I'm uh, rambling here. But anyway, thanks for listening to the George Wilder doing this show. Make sure you join me tomorrow and every night at seven o'clock uh, Central Standard Time. The George Wilder doing this show is now on the air and I want to say to the GOP stop killing people get up get up off that chair get out and save your democracy we the American people run this not the white Republicans white supremacy whatever they want to identify themselves as uh, we the people we run this all right everybody goodbye hope you have a good night or good day or whatever wherever you find yourself listening to the George Wilder Jr. show have a good one
Mighty from the small 